morning, everyone. Uh, if you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 15? It's uh, conveniently on page 15 of the Bibles that are in the pews. Last week, we left Abram, the military genius, the strategic thinking fighter, giving God the glory as a result of the rather timely intervention of Melchizedek, the king and the priest of God Most High. Lot has been rescued. The king of Sodom's kind offer has been turned down, and the journey into the unknown continues. Now, Genesis 15 is quite possibly one of the most significant chapters in the Old Testament, and it certainly contains one of the most preached on verses in the entire Bible. So, let's, as we usually do, stand together for the public reading of God's Word. Genesis 15, starting at verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me, since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you to Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall possess it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to them, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a dark and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards... They will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants, I will give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of ten different groups of people, all whose names end with I-T-E-S. Grab a seat. Now, before we, before we dive into this text, let me ask you a relatively personal question. What's going on in your life at the moment? What's going on in your life at the moment? I mean, away from the relative safety of this place, what challenges, what issues, what circumstances, what difficulties exist in your world? Maybe at home, 
maybe at work, that are currently testing your faith. I wonder how many of us are actually sitting here this morning, and if you were honest with me, you're more focused on your circumstances than you are on God. And even though this service may have temporarily taken your mind off the stuff going on in your life, you know that the moment you walk out those doors, it's all going to come crashing around you again. And even as I start to speak, your mind is struggling to concentrate because it's what you've left at home or it's what you face in this incoming week well here's my advice this morning together let's go stargazing in Genesis 15 we find Abram sitting or lying in his tent staring at the ceiling if tents have ceilings and he's focused on his circumstances circumstances that are seriously testing this man's faith to the absolute limit. And the word of the Lord comes to Abram, which in itself is pretty unique, just a passing comment, because this is the only time, apart from verse 4 of this chapter, this is the only time that this phrase appears in the Pentateuch in the first five books of the Old Testament. The word of the Lord generally came to prophets, not to patriarchs. And therefore, it would seem that Abram was seen as not only a patriarch, but also a prophet. And chapter 20, verse 7 of Genesis seems to confirm that. It's just an aside. But the word that comes from God is a great one. Have a look at verse 1. As in a vision, whatever that was, Abram heard God say this. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now to hear that from God, to hear that in light of what Abram has just been through in chapter 14, you would have thought that those words would have been phenomenally encouraging, really comforting, absolutely uplifting. Well, apparently not. Abram doesn't just sit back and allow those words to filter through his thinking. He doesn't take time, it seems, to reflect on this graphic image of God as his shield. He doesn't think about this idea of God being his great reward. Instead, immediately, he comes back at God. Look at how verse 2 starts. But, Abram said. Now, why is that? Well, I want to suggest this morning it's because Abram is struggling with the reality of his present circumstances. Where he's at and how he feels on this journey means it's hard for him to hear those words. It's even harder for him to believe these words. And in some ways I could stand up here this morning in front of a congregation of people. Some I know, many I don't. I don't know what is going on in your life at the moment. And I could stand up here this morning and I could declare the truth that God is your shield. I could even quote Psalm 28 verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. And although many of you will hear that, some of you will want to come back at me. 
Some of you will want to come back at God and say, I hear what you're saying, but let me tell you what's going on in my life at the moment. Let me share with you the reality of my circumstances. And there's a sense in which Abram does exactly that, because look in verse 2, because here's his response. But he says, now here's how he begins, he says, Sovereign Lord, which at least reveals that what he's going to say is not going to be an irreverent rant. Abram recognizes, he affirms who God is, and that's crucial, so he addresses him correctly. Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer, who apparently was an adopted servant from Damascus, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. In other words, what Abram's saying is here, God, I hear what you've said. And even the promises of verse 12 are still ringing in my ears, that you're going to bless me, that you're going to make me into a great nation. But, but, here's how it is at the moment, God. Sarah and I still don't have a son. And time's running out. The biological clock isn't going to keep ticking for much longer. You see, Abram knows the promises of God on one hand. And yet, on the other, the reality of his circumstances are staring him in the face. And it's doing his head in. He's finding it really difficult to make this connection between what God says and what God promises and how it actually is. And I don't know if you ever feel like that. You read. You reflect. You listen to the promises of God. You know them. And yet the reality of your circumstances don't connect. And you struggle. And then God says something which to a man of around 80 or 90 years of age seems ridiculous. This man, Eliezer, he's not going to be your heir, Abram. But a son coming from your own body will be your heir. But Abram still doesn't see it because his current circumstances dominate his thinking. They are what fill his field of vision. And I'm pretty sure there are some people here this morning and you can identify with Abram's story in a situation at this moment in his journey. You know many of the promises of God. For example, I mean, there is the classic, we know all things work together for good for those who love God. But as you sit here in church on Valentine's Day 2010, it's not the promises of God that occupy your thinking, it's your circumstances. From your vantage point, life doesn't make a lot of sense at the moment. It doesn't add up. And so you've got a few more questions than answers. And I want to say this morning, and I've said this so many times already here, that's okay. God doesn't rebuke Abram for being upset. He doesn't tell him he's no right to question. He doesn't rebuke him and say, Abram, you're out of order, you're out of line. And throughout Scripture, we find many others, and I know I have pointed to this before, but I think it's so important for us to hear this. Right throughout Scripture, we discover many others expressing similar frustrations and voicing their concerns. Here's just two examples I've left it out. David says, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Or the prophet Habakkuk, how long, O Lord, how long must I call for help but you do not listen? Or cry to you violence and you do not save? And God doesn't rebuke any of those prayers. In fact, they are recorded there to see how others have honestly and with integrity struggled with their faith as well as we do. As well as I do. And so what does God do with his friend? And and we all know that whenever James is writing about Abram in his epistle, this is how he describes Abram as a friend of God. And so what does God do with his friend? Well, in a very definite and decisive way, God takes Abram to a different vantage point. Abram, you're lying here and you're staring at the ceiling and you're consumed by your own circumstances and you just need to step outside for a moment. This man-made tent ceiling is obscuring your vision. You can't see further than eight foot above you. So come with me and see what could be. Let's get your eyes off your circumstances and refocused on my promises. Let's, Abram, go stargazing. And so Abram steps outside and he looks up into the night sky and he discovers that it's so chock full of stars that it almost seems that the heavenly realm is more real than the earth on which he's standing. It's as if the sky above his head is a spangled blanket of sparkling lights. And you can just imagine Abram rubbing his eyes and readjusting his focus, broadening his field of vision. And as I was just reflecting on this, I realized that many of us live our lives caught between those two perspectives. Between staring at the ceiling and staring at the stars between staring at our human circumstances and staring at our God and the promises of God. And it's not that our circumstances don't matter. Please hear me on this. It's not that they don't exist. Of course they do. You know that because you're the ones that are living with them. But what really matters this morning, what really matters right now, is what are you staring at? What are you choosing to focus on this morning. The ceiling or the stars? Your circumstances or your God? What occupies your field of vision? Do you need a different vantage point this morning? Do you need to hear God's invitation to step outside and just look up? And God then invites Abram to do the impossible. And I love this and I sense there's a, there is humor here. Look up and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he adds, so shall your offspring be. You see, from where many of us are sitting sitting this morning, it maybe seems impossible. As you look at your circumstances, and only you know your circumstances, but as you look at your circumstances this morning, they seem impossible. A bit like counting stars. The challenges you face, the issues you wrestle with, the situation that you find yourself in, it appears overwhelming. And so God invites you this morning to refocus on the God of the impossible. 
You see, with God, and I know we could say it's a cliche, but it's not a cliche, it's a truth. With God, all things are possible. And Abram does exactly this. He steps outside, he looks up, he readjusts his focus, and he gets it. And at that moment when he gets it, we then read one of the most preached on verses in the entire Bible. Genesis 15, verse 6. It says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness, or as the New Living Translation puts it. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. You see, Abram believed. There was still nothing to see. There was still no 12-week scan picture. Just a firm belief in the word of God. And a willingness to trust. And that remains the challenge for us. It remains the challenge for me. Am I going to believe God? I don't just mean believe in God. Many people do that. Many people believe God exists. But am I going to actually take God at his word? Am I going to trust him with my life? With my future? My uncertain future? Faith is choosing to believe God and believe his word, even in light of unfulfilled dreams. And when your dreams are unfulfilled, and when it seems that your hopes are dashed, it can be really hard to put your trust in God. It means to trust God's future. And to live assured of that future, even in the deathly present. And I realize that that's where some people find themselves at the moment. Living with what it seems like is the deathly present. Staring at the ceiling. Consumed by circumstances. And it's really hard to embrace the promises of God. Of what could be. It's really hard to believe that with him all things are possible. And at this moment, this is exactly what Abram did. Because Abram reached the place of saying, okay, do you know what? I'm going to actually rely on the promise speaker. The promise, the promise really seems hard to get my head around that I'm going to have a kid. Seems impossible, but I'm going to rely on the promise speaker. And under that starlit sky, Abram reached a decisive milestone in his journey. He chose to believe. He chose a God perspective on life in spite of and even in the midst of perversely impossible circumstances and I love this quote from F.B. Myers unbelief puts our circumstances between us and God, faith puts God between us and our circumstances if you hear nothing else, hear that phrase, unbelief puts our circumstances between us and God faith puts God between us and our circumstances and Abraham embraced the faith option and God counted him as righteous And this is why Paul ends up describing Abram as the father of all who believe. And that's us, church. That's us. But bear this in mind before we go on to the next section of the chapter, that Abram's circumstances did not change overnight. In chapter 12, Abram is 75 years of age. We know that. We also know that Isaac, the promised son with Sarah, is not born until Abram reaches 100. That's 25 years of waiting. 25 years of negative pregnancy tests. 
And some commentators reckon that by chapter 15, Abram is maybe around 85. So even then, there is another 15 years of waiting. Do you ever get weary waiting on the promises of God? Do you ever get tired waiting for them to kick in? And we don't do waiting very well in our instant culture. We want what we want now. And our patience tends to wear really thin when we're forced to wait for anything. And whenever you're forced to wait for anything, discouragement often kicks in. And then whenever discouragement kicks in, you feel like giving up. And I don't know if anybody finds himself in that place this morning that you've been waiting on a promise of God to take effect and still you wait. And waiting is agonizing. It's agonizing at times. It's agonizing most of the times. But the thing about waiting is also it's energizing. Those who wait on God renew strength. Those who wait on God renew their strength. And God, according to the psalmist, strengthens the very core of your being, your heart, whenever you wait on him. And so if you're still waiting for God, and I don't know which of the promises of God you are still waiting on, But I encourage you to take heart from Abram's story and take a lead from his example. The problem is that it may take 15 years. It might even take until the next life for your promise to come to pass. But the challenge remains, am I going to continue to believe? Am I going to continue to trust God and therefore he will count me as righteous? But the next bit is interesting because even having just been accounted righteous because of his faith, Abraham still has questions. And I find this so refreshing. Because we may be people of God and thank God that we are, but we still have questions. We still have those niggling doubts and Abraham has them. Because although, okay God, you've addressed the childless issue and I see the stars and I'm going to choose to believe you, I'm going to choose to stare in a different place. But there is still the outstanding matter of land possession. And in verse 7, have a look at it, God reminds Abram how he had brought him out of the earth to give him possession of the land. It's good to recall what God has promised. But Abram needs more than a good memory. He wants tangible proof. He wants evidence. And so the question comes again and again. Note how he addresses God's sovereign Lord. How can I know that I will gain possession of the land? How can I honestly know this? Prove it to me, God. Do you ever say that? You maybe don't say it out loud, but you internally say it. Prove this to me, God. And again, God doesn't rebuke his friend. But instead, he speaks to Abram's doubt by entering into a solemn treaty with him. And here in Genesis 15, we have the record of God cutting a covenant with Abram. And so Abram's required to bring five sacrifices. He's to slice three of them down the middle and arrange the halves opposite each other. Now if this treaty or if this covenant had been between two people, what would have happened next is that both parties to the treaty would have walked between the halves which was in many ways a strange concept but it was the practice of that time and in that culture 
But how is this going to work, Abram's thinking, because this is not between two people, this is between a person and none other than God Almighty. So how are we going to walk through these halves together? Well, before we find out, the day draws to an end, and Abram falls into a dark, deep, disturbing sleep. And God speaks to him. And he outlines the events that are going to take place before his descendants will inherit the land. It's verses 13 to 15. And what God says is, listen, Abram, for 400 years, descendants, your descendants are going to become exiles in a foreign land. They will all become slaves. They will end up being ill-treated. Then God will punish their slave masters. And eventually your descendants, Abram, will get out with a pile of possessions. Abram's listening to this 400 years. That must have come as a real shock. But at least here's the consolation. Verse 15. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and will be buried at a good old age. Here's the reality, Abram. And don't don't miss the significance of this moment. And I'm sure I should take this further, but I'm not going to. Abram, you've been singled out for special blessing. But you will see very little of the fulfillment of the promise. You're not going to see it. But you'll go to your ancestors in peace and you'll be buried at a good old age. And then it happens. A smoking oven and a blazing torch appear. And they pass between the split animal pieces. And as a result, the covenant has established two powerful symbols of God's presence. And I know we're, we're sort of jumping forward, we're reading forward in a sense. But that smoking oven reminds us of the pillar of cloud that guided the smoke that covered Sinai or the cloud that filled the temple. The blazing torch reminds us of the pillar of fire, the burning bush or the fire that fell from heaven consumed the sacrifices. They are all, all symbols of God's presence. And what God was doing here is God is making a covenant. Abram didn't have to sign it. Abram didn't have to walk between the carcasses. God established it. And therefore the certainty is based on not who Abram is. The certainty is based on who God is and on what God has done. Abram's role is to keep the covenant or to accept sorry, the covenant. You see, the problem with us making covenants is that we tend to break them. But God-cut covenants don't fail. Because God never fails. And I'm sure we can all make the connection between this and this. The different covenant that God has cut with us. That we have remembered this morning. It's another blood covenant. There's more broken flesh. But again, it's a God-established covenant. It's God-made. It's God-initiated. And like Abram, what have we got to do? Accept it. Believe in it. Rely on the promises of God and enter in by faith. And in verse 18, God then clarifies the land possession issue. He says, Abraham, to your descendants, I give this land. And just in case you think I'm being vague, let me specify exactly what land I'm talking about. And so he defines it for Abram. He says, listen, these are real promises. This is real land. As we all know the rest of the story, Abram and Sarah eventually have a son called Isaac. Real promises, real son. And God's real promises to us are recorded in here. 
And so each of us again leaves here this morning with a choice. Do I walk out through those doors into the reality of my circumstances and do I allow them to come crashing in round me again and do they occupy my field of vision and I stare at them or do I choose to step outside and do some stargazing? Do I choose to believe the impossible? Do I choose to wait if necessary? Do I choose, as we have done this morning, to give thanks for the God-cut covenant that promises us eternal life and a future beyond our wildest dreams? My encouragement to each of us this morning is, let's go gaze at a few stars.